Oi, oi, and welcome to the Orient Outlook podcast, sponsored by HF Plaster, and with myself, Stephen Espaum. As always, I'm joined by my good friend, Southstand Chum, the bearded legend, the one and only, the daddy-o, Mr. Paul Levy. Thank you very much indeed. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for a very special one-off podcast, as we're delighted to have someone who originally joined us as a goalkeeping coach. Then he put the gloves back on and ended up playing 103 times between the sticks, which is amazing, considering... Uh, he joined us as a coach and most recently retired the gloves to put the grey tracksuit back on as part of the coaching staff. We are very much delighted to be joined virtually on Zoom by the one and only Mr Dean Brill. Welcome to the Orient Outlet podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for that nice intro. Oh, pleasure. Pleasure. Dean, how are you, mate? As we sit here on this Tuesday evening... Um, Wednesday. It's been... On this Wednesday evening, it's, it's been... It's lovely weather outside. How, how are you doing? Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, enjoying, um, like you say, enjoying the weather, um, enjoying a bit of time off with the family. Um, we've just been away for a week, so that was good. So, yeah, it's all good. Good to kick back and it's been an exhausting season, hasn't it, arguably? Oh, it was a long old season, wasn't it? I know for you guys at home, it was probably just as long, like, not being able to get out of the house and come down to games. So we were quite lucky it was... Um, it was almost the norm for us. I know it was a busy, busy season, but it was it was the norm for us. So I, I can imagine it was it was just as long for everybody outside. But yeah, it was a, a challenging one. We, you lost the month, didn't you? Because they pushed all they sort of pushed it back to September. So you're kind of condensing a month's worth of fixtures, and then the backlogs of cup action and and that kind of stuff. So you ended up playing. We ended up playing a lot of Saturday Tuesdays, which is exhausting. Yeah, that's right. And see, we missed a couple a couple of weeks, didn't we? When uh, when disaster struck, so that was another, another, and then obviously, obviously, other people had the same. So it, yeah, it was a, it was a bonkers season that was squeezed into to some little time. Yeah. So we're going to talk to Dean all about his time at Orion. Uh, so much to cover, but I guess before we do, we have to mention our sponsors. So we are sponsored by AJF Plastering, who are an Essex-based plastering and rendering company. They cover all aspects of domestic and commercial work, specialising in silicone colour render systems. And you know this by now, ladies and gents. The best part is that they offer 15% off for all Leighton Orient fans and staff. So for more information and the best plastering and rendering prices around, you can email the boys at ajfplastering@outlook.com, or you can visit the guys on social media at Plastering on Facebook and Instagram, or you can get in contact with Big Ads, LOFC on Twitter, or you can visit AJF Plastering on their shiny brand new website at simply www.ajfplastering.com. Lovely. I spoke to Adam earlier, Dean, um, and he, he said that although you're not uh, an Orient employee anymore, he'd still extend the discount to you. So if you had any plastering <laughs> or external rendering work that you needed doing, he asked me specifically to mention that to you. Um, Dean, we're going to start as I said sort of just before we started recording um, you, you joined us uh, at the, well just before the start of the 2017-18 season and you started with us as a goalkeeping coach in the summer of 2017 how did that move come about for you? Um, out of the blue really um, I, I'd, I'd been in Scotland I had a bad injury and I'd come back for six months to finish at Colchester and there was discussions of a, uh, a similar sort of role there, um, but never materialised. It was, it was something that she talked about. But so I was kind of scratching around in the summer as 
as you do. Like at this time of year is uh, not fun for players. I know fans like to see lows going on, but as players, you sat at home behind a phone waiting for for something to ring, and uh, it, it tends to take a while. So I was scratching around. Um, I had a couple of offers, but as you can imagine, they weren't great considering I hadn't played for a while. Um, I played a couple of trial games for people, um, which was good. But I eventually got a phone call out of the blue from Martin Ling. Um, someone at Colchester recommended that I was looking to do something similar, that I'd started my coaching journey. Um, and I got a voicemail from Martin and we, <laughs> typical Martin, we went back and forwards three or four times, missing each other's calls. Um and eventually we got to chatting and he invited me in and pre-season always started. Uh, I think I came in for, oh, there was a game, a pre-season game away. I did a week before one of the, the later pre-season games and, um, and that was it really. The discussion kind of was had and, and that was kind of it. It was a phone call. Um, I came in to do a little bit of, of work. It all tied down and, and eventually we just, we just flowed into the season. So that's kind of how that come about. And what were your first impressions of the club? Because like you said, recently Martin had just been appointed, Nigel and Kent and they just bought the club. They were building literally from the bottom up. You know what? what the first I heard of it, well, obviously I was um, at Colchester. I was at the game, the final game when all the fans came on the pitch. So I kind of knew, well, I didn't know before then to the extent until that day of what was happening. So I kind of had an insight of what was going on. Um. And then following it through, I'm good friends with Alex Lawless and still am to this day. And I went out for a beer in the summer with Alex and he phoned me the next morning to say he'd been contacted by Orion. Would he, like, they obviously got no players, blah, blah, blah. Would, does he want me to put my name in? I was like, of course I do. Like, Slayton Orion is, what a, club, what a great club to, 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 to start with sort of thing. And um, that never materialised, funny enough, but... I knew from that point on, I knew what was going on. And like I said, I'd seen it firsthand the year before. And then to follow what was going on, and obviously I saw a few sign-ins like George signed and Charlie Lee. And all of a sudden, everybody's, wow, this is, this is, this is good. These are, they're, they're back with a bit of a bang. So that was the kind of first that I, I saw of it. So it was a little bit of a coincidence that I ended up being there with Alex in the end, actually. It wasn't, it wasn't off-putting the fact that we literally had nothing apart from a few cones and a few balls and a training ground, albeit a decent enough stadium, but literally yeah. nothing. No, it's like, like I said, been I, lifted. I, I, the beauty of social media, I'd seen players going in there. So when you see George Ellicobi, Charlie Lees, Moons, like you go, wow, like Joby McEnough, you go, this isn't, this isn't a club that's on its knees. This is a club that's, that's going, this is back. Mm. Um, so when I like I say when I got the phone call, it was like, wow, this is this is a great opportunity. And there were lots of experienced players going in, but in the position where we didn't have much experience was the keeping position. So when you first got there, we had Sam Sargent and Charlie Granger, who were both still relatively young, who had a bit of first thing football here and there, but not much. So as a coach, then how did you find going in and not having that experienced goalkeeping head and having to work with two of the young ones of the squad? Do you know what it probably helped me? in my first role because as a pro I'd all as obviously at the back end of your career you start to take a bit more responsibility for the guidance of the young players anyway so the fact that I then went in and there was two young goalkeepers was kind of me just doing 
what I would do anyway as an experienced pro, trying to help these guys, give them as much experience as I can, uh, talking through scenarios. But all I was doing was putting the sessions on for them. Um, so I, I think for myself, it probably helped me in my first role that it kind of wasn't too dissimilar to, to being as, as a player. And Steve Davis was the uh, was the manager at the time. What were your thoughts about him as a as a as a manager and as a person? Yeah, I was excited. Um, he obviously had a good record at, at, at Crew. Like they'd had a good way of playing. They they brought through young players. So for him to drop out of the league, I thought was was great. Like, um, and then obviously I got to know him. Real football man. Real real nice fella. Yeah. Um, lovely fella. Right. It, it was just obviously the the scenario that that followed was was not ideal but he knew football he was a good coach um, and like I said before I, I had some great times with him he was, he was a lovely lovely man and when we saw him go it was it was sad but yeah I was excited to work with him I really was at the start I'd heard great things about Ross um, obviously Martin Ling's Martin Ling Martin's a, a character in football so again you look at it and you go wow this is this is proper this is this is not just throwing things together this is this is proper stuff Awesome. That was a promising start. We started the season quite well. The early form was quite good. Obviously, it kind of we plummeted down the table. 14th of November, Steve Davies gets relieved of his duties. Did you see that coming? Could you feel that coming? I think from us as fans, when we was in the South Stand, we could certainly feel that was it was probably on the way after we lost. I think two 0 to Gateshead. Yeah, I think being in football long enough, you like you say, fans have been around it and players and staff and. Yeah, you, you could. I think Steve felt it as well. And I think uh, I think when you get to that point, it's almost the more and more I've been on the, that side of it, the more and more you see there's like almost like a point of no return. But that's not always the point that gets cut. So it, it sometimes you think you look back on it and go, right, there isn't like that. I don't care what they, I mean, I don't care what they do now. This is not coming back. Like it's, it's gone. But there's always that period of, it, like, I don't know, it's hard to explain, like, but look, when you look back, you go, yeah, do you know what? That, that was coming. We knew that was coming from X. It didn't need to get to Z before we, like, it happened. Like, we knew it was coming. So, yeah, we saw it coming. And I think if you speak to most managers, they also feel that as well. And I think Steve probably did as well. Given the promising start we'd had, though, what what why weren't we getting the results? I mean, losing arguably losing six one to Bromley, you know that was always one in the back pocket, wasn't it? That that never worked, but that was quite early on. The results yeah. weren't tragic, but they had started to diminish somewhat. Is there any? Can you cast your mind back as to sort of remember what was wrong? Why weren't we getting the results? Where were we going wrong? I think there was an element of the squad that had been put together with good players and the feel-good factor and the stature, it doesn't matter. That league is unforgiving. It, it doesn't matter. So we were, the players were there. They were There was obviously some players that it was a good move for them. This is like, wow, this is a great move for me. So they were on the high. The club was on the high. The fans were on the high. It was a new thing, a new league, new teams we were playing against. That doesn't matter in the National League. These these teams, the Bromleys and the Suttons and 
that doesn't matter to them. You look at the teams that have stayed down there for, for years, the Tranmere's, Chesterfields, there's some Wrexham's, Luton were down there for a long time. There are some big teams. That does not matter to these teams. That National League is unforgiving. And I think the high that we were on was probably the free-flowing, like, like you say, we had some good results, we had some good bits of play, we were free-flowing, we had good players. But there was just that steel probably missing that the National League is a given. There is, you need that. You need to be able to, to grind and grunt, um, which, because everything was so great, probably wasn't there at the time. Um, and then, obviously, we lost George and Josh Coulson pretty early in the season. Um, and then you look at then, if you look at then the team, you'd have the, the two young goalies, probably two to four young centre-halves, and that's a big gaping hole if things start to go wrong. Um, and like I said, nationally given, and it just it, it, it didn't. It it was it was tough, and that run was very very tough. It was. So Steve Davis was relieved of his duties in late November. Justin Edinburgh uh, was appointed as Oint manager. Do you remember your first meeting with Justin? <laughs> I think everybody remembers their first meeting with Justin. <laughs> it's probably the biggest compliment I can ever give him. Um, yeah, I do. I remember. I remember finding out that he was coming in. I knew a few people that had worked with him. Uh, they'd all given good references. Um, it sounded like what we needed. It sounded like what we need: that toughness, that grit, um, that persona. Um, and I remember him walking in on the first day, and there was me, Justin, and Ross in the staff room in the middle of the training ground and he had a big smile on his face but he was a big fella now I'm a big fella but he was a big tall commanding man he stood there and he puffs his chest out and you go okay I'm going to follow this guy Um, but he was great you know he was great we had a frank that was probably 20 minutes into that conversation was the first time we discussed me playing again so that meeting was as much as, you know, so the best way I can describe it is we had the meeting and he was great. Lovely Justin, family man, um, wanted to know about me, wanted to know about the team, wanted about everything. Proper, real good guy, a fun-loving guy. We opened the door, we walked into the, the, the meeting room, all the boys were in the meeting room, bang, this face, and it's like he like puffed himself up even more and stood there and just grabbed everyone so he had that switch and that was where I went like again that's where I went wow this guy's good but he is he's gonna grab this um so from from that from then on it was really very much about you following Justin's lead but him saying to you actually what do you think about putting the gloves back on again and and how did he actually persuade you to say come on Get, go back between the sticks for me. He can't have just asked you nicely, Dean, do, can, can you do that for me? There, there must have been something that he would have said to have said to you. Yeah, go on then, I'll, I'll do that. Um, yeah, so like I said, that was in that meeting and it was pretty much, look, I know it's, I, I know it's, it's been discussed about some experience back in the team Um I know what you can do. I know what you're about. You can still play. I want you to still play. 
do you want to play? And that that was that was that was pretty much how it was laid out. Um, I kind of knew it was coming. I kind of knew it had come in. We'd been prepped. I'd been prepped. Like I said, I knew a few people that knew him. And I know he'd been asking about me as a player. I know he'd spoken to a few of my ex-coaches. So I kind of knew it was coming. Um, but yeah, that was that was pretty, pretty much laid out on the table and that was how it was. Um, and like I said, I'd, I'd had an opportunity to think about it and I wanted to play. So his first game was away to Solihull. Any nerves on your part just before you were out on the pitch? I mean, how did you feel pre-match? It was obviously it's back from a move as a coach back to a player. Any any yeah any trepidation? The no, I wouldn't say nerves. I would say the hardest thing was, was the players that like some of the couldn't be like that. Sorry there, Dee, we lost you there. So, yeah, let's go back. First game, what were the nerves like and what, how were you feeling before before walking back out on that pitch? Yeah, probably no no real nerves. I think I'd, I'd got over that, the nervous stage. It was There was definitely excitement in there. Um, but it was more a little bit of, not anxiousness, but I could see some of the younger boys were a little bit like... Who, who is like this guy's the coach? Like, what? What is? Is he? Like, I kind of know he's played, but they weren't too sure. But the older ones, who had obviously played against through my career, were, were kind of like, yeah, this is this is great. This is fine, like, not a problem. So it was more a thing of right. I've got a, I've got to get into the group again as a different way of rather than being their coach. I've got to get alongside them now, so they trust me as a player. So that was the thing that I felt most to start with. There was no real nerves about playing. Um, I was obviously excited. Um, I was ready. Um, but yeah, it was just that, how am I going to kind of get these guys on side? Because we needed to. I, I needed to get them on side. I needed to, them to understand what I was about, what what Justin was going to be about. And uh, that was probably that was probably the, the, the bit that I found a little bit strange transitioning back from a coach. Yeah, and then after that Solihull loss was the famous Justin, I'm not here for the sake of it, I'm here for the memories, um, the famous uh, speech. Uh, but, but after that game, I mean, to be fair to, to Justin, he was appointed on the Thursday and Solihull came on the Saturday. I still don't class Solihull as his first proper game, to be honest with you, because I don't think it's fair that he had probably two hours on a Friday morning with you guys before you all went up to Solihull. But after that game, our form did pick up. We beat top of the table Sutton really easily, actually, in his first game. We beat them 4-1 and we went on a, on a fairly decent run after that. What, given that no, um, there was no sort of mass exodus of, of players and, and a mass um, inbound group of, of players to come in, you know, everything was pretty much the same. What, what had Justin done to change us into a sort of hard-to-beat and, dare we say, sort of winning side? He knew what that league needed and what it took to be in that league. He looked at the group of players and realised what the group of players needed. Um, and he, he, he brought himself. Justin was tough. Justin was honest. Justin was hardworking. Justin was... Uh, a teammate, Justin was the boss. He, he 
the leader. He was he brought himself. He brought himself, and I think the squad gravitated towards that. The the the, the core of it were crying out for it, and I think as a and so I'm splitting it younger and older here. The the older boys knew that's what a manager needed to be to get the job done. The play, young players, I think, need that leadership. They obviously need guidance, but they needed that focal point to, to gravitate to, to, to say, no, this is okay. This is okay. I've got you. This is, this is fine. This is the way we're going to do it. And I think that's all he did. I think he just pulled it all together. I think he put him at the centre like a big magnet and it just attracted everything to it. And when that come together, well, the rest is history, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, it certainly is. In, in the first season, like Paul said, our form uh, got much better. You know, there was no chance we were going to go down. I think we're slightly too late in the day to make a challenge for promotion. But what we did make a challenge for was the FA Trophy. And I think arguably the games that we remember from that season were in the FA Trophy. Do you remember Dover away? That game? That was a bit of a dramatic one, wasn't it? Mooney Chip, was that? Was it the Mooney Chip? Yeah. yeah. The winning goal, yeah. That's it. Yeah, we three 0 up or something like that. That's it was crazy. Right. They brought it back to three all in the eighty-second minute, and then Moon's chipped their yeah. keeper. A beautiful lob, ridiculous lob. He, he used to do it all the time. I think he scored about six of them in the next preseason. It was incredible how he could do it all the time. Yeah, it was consistent. That's 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 to be fair. Mm. But you made a brilliant save uh, from a shot from literally point blank range quite early on. Did that kind of set the tone as to? the fact that Dover weren't just there to make up the numbers? I think I was also at fault for maybe the third goal. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said before, like I said, like, it's tough. Like, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough league. There was, and I think by then that realisation was coming. It was coming. Like, we'd seen it. Like, this is not just, this is not late Orient and Dover. This is, we are going at it head and head. Yeah. There was no easy games. And I think that allied with Justin was the turning point. And them sorts of games were massive, massive in us using that momentum and propelling us for the next season because there was definitely a feeling within the group that, right, OK, that's it. Now we're, we're going to do it now. Mm. And that was before the season finished. So you had that. Yeah, another one, yeah. another one of those crazy games was Gateshead at home. So we got passed over. And if you remember, we had Gateshead at home. And that was the same, 3 no up, 65 minutes, seemingly cruising, and a young, ginger-haired fox in the box came yeah. on the and completely changed. The DJ. The DJ. The DJ. Yeah. DJ. I think he came on at like left midfield or something. It's called a hat-trick from left midfield, which is typical DJ, I should say now. I watched the highlights back yesterday, and as Ebu Adams is celebrating his goal, Dan John... Um, the D, uh, DJ is, is literally warming up on the sideline next to him celebrating little did we know yeah little did we know he, he made us have another trip to Gateshead yes yeah and that was another bonkers game because I think we were two down pulled it back to two all and then they scored a penalty to win the game 3-2 yeah. therefore ruling us out of the FA Trophy that season I think I was on the podcast quite a lot saying we were destined to go to Wembley but little did I know what was to follow in the season after that Lofty come on to. So you said like you could feel a momentum building towards the end of that season. We were comfortable. We had some good results towards the end of the season. I think we went to Gateshead away on the last day of the season and turned them over fairly convincingly. So within that 
so we've been going into that following season and going into 18-19. Did you sometimes I guess players can have a feeling, and we've spoken to other players who won the league, like Bond and Harold, and they could all feel they could all feel something was happening, like turning, and they were all excited and ready to get going. Did you have that feeling as well? Yeah, hundred percent. Like I said before, we, we felt it before the season had finished. Before the season had even finished, it was there. That feeling was there. And do you know what? The biggest thing is, we didn't talk about it. It wasn't discussed. It was just, it was, it was weird. It was just almost like, okay, it's there. The feeling's there. It's with us. Come on then. Let's go. It, it, it was so weird. We very, very rarely talked about anything that's, that probably from, them, them sort of like cup games where, it, where it, the tide started to turn to probably the end of the, the unbeaten run that we went on. There was nothing ever talked about. It was just, right, we're going to pre-season, we're working hard, we're coming back, the season's starting, this is what we do, this is how we do it. It, 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 it was just working. And like I say, we, we didn't even talk about it. The feeling was just there and we knew it was there. We didn't even need to talk about it. So and I think we yeah go on. I think we like you said. I think it was an unbeaten thirteen games. We drew the first three, and obviously us being Orient fans, we're not too happy with the start of the season. <laughs> and I think we went to Maidstone, if I remember rightly. And Josh Caroma was starting to start up front with Bon, and they were starting to develop. We happy really come on in pre-season was looking good. And like you said, it was an unbeaten thirteen game stretch at the beginning of the season. Yeah, again, like there was zero panic in camp honestly there were it was like yeah it's fine like the fix when the fixtures drawn there were, there were tough two fixtures the first two fixtures we had obviously Salford which was always going to be a tough fixture and then who did we have next uh, it was at home wasn't it it was one Absolutely. and they caught them the last minute didn't they they got a last minute equaliser yeah and again that was like they were, they were ones that were paying good money as well so we knew it Salford away, Ebb's feet at home. Uh, that, that, were, that, was, that was a tough start. Um, but there was no panic at all in camp. And then we went away to, to Maidstone, which was our first one on the AstroTurf, if I remember that season. In the FA Cup, um, fourth qualifying round, that one? Yeah. No, that was in the league. Oh, right, Okay. Anyway, and, and, and that was it. It was just it. We, there was no panic. There was zero panic in the first three games. I remember drawing them and, and everyone was thinking, ah, oh, outside, like, oh, like, we've got to be winning these. We've got to start the season better. There was zero panic. Everybody was like, nope, that's fine. We're unbeaten. Let's keep going. And Justin was at the front of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to fast forward into November then. We face Bromley at home in our one-off kit. Um, if you remember, with the the white shirt with the yep. uh, with the V as a nod to the uh, second as to the First World War, that was fiercely competitive. That game, um, it, it was a bit feisty at times, right? Yep, they always were. I think the Bromley games were. They always tended reason. to have a, a, a bit. Yeah, just had a little bit of needle to it. Like I say, like these a lot of these boys that play for these teams have been there a long time. They're 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 battle hardened. They're um, They've played against these big teams. We were a big team. We were, we were a big fish. And they were like, that's fine. That's fine. We, we know how to deal with it. We have our own way of dealing with, with the big teams. Um, and Bromley just seemed to be um, one, of them, one of them teams that were, were tough. I remember uh, I was listening back to Matt Harold's interview that we did with him last year. And one of the comments that he made was about the fact that, look, there's, there's a lot of pressure 
being a player for Leighton Orient, given the size and stature of the club, uh, National League, and then you've got that coupled with the fact that you've got these teams that are coming to us that have never played in a stadium like ours, that have, you know that that would generally just kind of up their game and use all the tricks and antics that you can to to put you off your game to help them win the game. So there, there was a lot of forces at play other than just football. 100%. You'd see team people turn up at the stadium and taking selfies before the game and videoing each, like, each other around the pitch before the game. And it, and then you'd go away to other places and, and have all, all the tricks would be put on, all the heating's flipped up like to boiling and stuff like that. And it's like, well, we're not going to make this comfy, comfortable for you. And once we, we got to grips with that, it, that was fine. We, we almost embraced it and went, go on, then turn the heating up some more. Let's go. You want to take pictures on our pitch? Not a problem. Take pictures at the end when we've put you in the dirt sort of thing. It was fine. We kind of we kind of took that off of them as well. So it was and that's where the competitiveness come from and it was it was great. It was it was it was it was great. It was it was good to it was good to be a part of and and we thrive. We we had enough people in them them in the team that thrived off of them things. And we had enough feisty character of our own that were battle hardened. So that was that was good. But yeah that, that day was um that was a that was a, and a Karoma's goal that day. Wow, oh. and Joby to free kick is that right? Yeah, yeah. Josh Karoma then running up to George Porter because clearly they'd been at each other during the game, and him just screaming in his face will forever live in my memory. Yeah, two big characters, I think. Yeah, agree. So the season was going on; it was progressing nicely. We were doing well in the FA Trophy as well, and the, the draw, I guess, was fairly kind to us. We had Blythe Spartans and a. And a semi-final I think to Telford was that were you ever distracted by the FA Trophy at any point as you were heading into the back end of the season or was it never even talked about Wembley no I, I don't think it was a distraction it was it was just another game of football and that's what had been installed in us it was we were going to win we were winners on the training pitch uh, and that was that was that was from Justin that was from the, the staff that was from the players we were going to win that was it. It was just another game. We wanted to come on, then we'll have another game. We'll, we'll go and win another one. And actually, I think if you look back, one of the games, I can't which one it was, was a turning point. Was it almost like, I think, did Dan Happy score late on in one? Yeah, we were, we, it was Bracknell, I think. We were 1 0 down at half time. We played rubbish. Right. And yes. we, Happy scored the winner from a header from yeah. the corner. And that's kind of, yeah, that seemed like a turning point. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was one of the, it was one of the moments. Yeah, we needed that moment. We needed it. Like we would, we'd, we'd almost like stumbled a little bit through Christmas. I think if, if, if I'm recollecting it right, that is, it was after Christmas, and we'd stumbled a little bit, and we needed something. And like you say, t- first half, I remember we were terrible, like terrible. And then I remember, I think he. I think Marv was... I don't think Coles was playing and he brought Coles back on. Marv smashed his face into the post or something. We changed to a back three, I think. And then we just went and won. Mm. Yeah, and that was it. It was a point of bang. And I think, if I remember rightly as well, we had a huddle on the pitch after the game. We had a big huddle. It was a, like one of the... Like the game finished and there was a big huddle between the players and the staff. And we were just like, right, that is it. I think Joby led it and it was like, no more. That is it. That is the turning point. Like, regardless of where we are, that's it. No more. We're in it together and we're going through that finishing line. And I remember, I remember that huddle. Wow. Start of the Orient huddle. Long may it continue. Well, it did continue. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we'll fast forward so, then to Tuesday the 12th of March. It's tight at the top of the table and to stay top, we have to beat Aldershot away. Two Josh Coulson headers put us in front, 2-1. Um, the pressure was on. Very late on in the game, there's a header literally going in. And then all of a sudden, this massive claw reaches out and manages somehow, miraculously, to get a hand or fingertips to it and push it onto the post. What was going through your mind when that came, when that happened? Talk, talk us through that from, from your perspective, because we've seen it back. So tell us how it was for you. If I killed the question with, I was doing my job. <laughs> That's not good enough. <laughs> no. Um, you know what? I remember the first half. Uh, Jordan Maguire drew get injured. And then we, we went and scored two corners, I think. I think Brophy took two corners that Brophy's never taken corners ever. Cole scored the two. They were like exactly the same headers, weren't they? Yeah. Exactly the same yeah. headers. It was crazy. Um, and obviously the Josh Coulson slot song was in full flow that day. <laughs> uh, and it was right in front of you guys at that top end, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. That's right. Um, and we were pretty comfortable. I can't remember the goal they scored. I'm not great at remembering penalty. goals that other teams scored. Scott Rendell scored a penalty in the second Oh, Renz, that's right. I do remember, yeah. yeah. Good penalty taker, Renz. Um, the header. <laughs> um, you know what? I don't think you realise the magnitude of it at the time. You you really don't. Like, I, I saved it. I knew it was a good save. I was scrambling to get it away and Colts was closest. And, and I think Colts toe-poked it away, like an inch away from the post. Like, don't kick it in the goal, don't kick it in the goal. And me and Colts would always have this thing. We still went to this day. Like, if something would happen, we talked to each other. We were quite jovial in, in game, which you can't imagine considering how much I scream and shout. But every so often, the ball would come over the top and all you, or, or the ball would come into the box and all you'd hear Kulf's go is, Dino, 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 Dino! Like oh, that, like, screaming at the top of his voice. Honestly, it was brilliant. He, he still, we still do it to this day. And um, I kind of, re- like, reversed it that day after I'd made the save. It was like, Kulf's, Kulf's, Kulf's! <laughs> Clear it. Like, because you can feel in games, you can feel the pressure coming as a goalkeeper. You can feel that tide. You can feel the, the oh my gosh, like we can't, we can't, we can't. And 2-1 is a horrible scoreline, isn't it, as well? Um, so it's 2-0 as well. And, yeah, and then, and then obviously like after the game, it was just one of those things. It was just like, wow, that, that, that was big. You, you've just actually answered one of the things that, that we'd had in about ask Dean why... Um, if why why uh, he always shouts Dino Dino Dino, um, so you've just added flesh to that bone for us on that one because he yeah. actually messaged us that. Who Coles did? Yeah. Ah, oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. We used to you know what we had two things. We'd have a he'd, he'd always come over to me in the goal. I'd be doing my little dancing in the goal, getting ready, preparing myself, and he'd come over with a big cuddle always before the game, and then. In game, there was remember. Uh, we'll get to it in a minute. I'm sure we will. But the Solly Hole game, right at the end of the season, and the ball trickling onto the line. Yeah, yeah. We've got a question coming up on that. Yeah, 
That was the biggest ding I did, I did, I did moment ever. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Love it. Amazing. I must say, when we announced you on the podcast, that a lot of people wanted to know about that save. That, you know, we speak about pivotal moments. You spoke about Happy's header. I think when us as Royal fans look back on that season and go, what were the top five defining moments of that championship winning season? I honestly, and it's not because you're, I'm facing you, that save is as pivotal as anything that happened that season. Because in all the shots scored at that moment, the game probably finishes to all. And we are pretty much level with Salford at that point. We don't take the extra two points and it could have gone so many different ways. So I don't think you should ever underestimate. I'm sure you don't anyway. But from us as Orient fans, and I'm not, I can't say I speak for every Orient fan because it's just two of us sitting here. I think you will always be forever remembered as, with that pivotal moment because that was such a pivotal moment in Orient's history. So a massive thank you from us at this point for that save because it was amazing and watching it back now we were watching it before we were speaking to you goosebumps and you've got like the commentator who's speechless when when you're making that save and again you know through facebook and twitter and the forums they were all talking still about i've never seen a save like that yeah an orient keeper so amazing work they're doing we could talk about that save all night but i guess we should probably no, move on a little <laughs> yeah so, we'll, we'll move yeah. on We'll move on. We'll talk about another Very modest. <laughs> so we're getting towards the business end of the season. Um, you know, it was, it was all hands on deck. Pressure was on. Halifax at home. We were 2-0 down, if you remember. We got that back to 2-all. Matty, uh, Ginger Pele, last minute goal. Yeah. Got us a point that felt like a win. How were you feeling? Like, at this point, there was like three or four games left. Again, any nerves, any talk about the trophy? Or was Justin a bit like, just let's just each game as it comes yeah again it wasn't overly talked about it really wasn't um, intentionally there was moments where... Go on. sorry intentionally it wasn't talked about i.e. there's no talk of that in this dressing room or you guys just generally just avoided the subject we just didn't we just didn't need to talk about it like there was don't get me wrong there was moments in the season where we did like look at the results so uh, why did we have? We had Boreham Wood was one that stands out in my mind where we lost 1 0 on the telly. Yeah. Uh, we had the early kickoff, didn't yeah. we? Yeah, I was and at that game. Was our Christmas do night? Yes. So we lost and we were all in, we, we were on a, in, in a train station and we we're watching all the other games and we we're like, obviously, we're, we're down. We're like, like, what, what are we, like, come on, man, what are we doing? Like, we were terrible. Like, what is that about? And then you start seeing the results tick through. And I think that day, there was a load of results that went our way. And again, we managed to stay at the top quite comfortably because other teams had like not won or drawn in games they should have won. And but there was moments like that. So there were, there were, I'm, not, I'm not saying we didn't talk about it, it wasn't discussed, but there wasn't, there wasn't, there was, there were few and far between moments where we actually went. God, we're lucky we got away with one. Like if we win ten or whatever, there was very, very few. I think the big game, some big games in towards the back end. Sutton United away. It was nil nil at half time. <laughs> we went a goal down at about sixty four minutes, um, and then obviously the drama that follows. I think Happy equalises. James Dayton yeah. breaks his leg, gets sent off for the privilege of that as well, which was just crazy. But then the opposition goalkeeper is doing kick-ups on his own line and then pulls down Macabre. What are you thinking from the other end of the pitch through that game? What are your emotions going like? 
nah, this isn't real. <laughs> this is not real. This is like a cartoon game or something. Honestly, it was the guy scored an. It's got the guy scored an absolute banger as well. He played against us last year for Bristol Rovers. A younger, I think his name was, got an absolute screamer at the top end. And you think, again, it was boiling hot. You're thinking, oh, not again. Come on, we claw this back. And then obviously what, like, then Dan scores. And then and then Datesy <laughs> gets sent off in his boot, sits there on the floor with his ankle busted and hanging off. Like, uh, and then... And then the goalie does kick up. So it, it's not real, is it? That's not real. That didn't happen, did it? Two two very Leighton Orient things to happen, i.e. at Leighton Orient and that, that event to happen. Those three things culminate. It's very Orient-y. Like it when when we tell that story back to somebody else, somebody new to the club, or so we did it with Sens a couple of times last year, we, we discussed with him about the season and how it had gone and what, stuff like that. When you tell that story back, Without showing the people it, by the end of the story, like, no, no, it's not done any justice. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you what the goalkeeper does. And they're like, what? You're one all with 10 men down and the goalkeeper's doing that. Why does he just kick it away? Honestly, it's, it's a cartoon game. It wasn't real. I don't, I don't know if it really happened. <laughs> did, you, did you feel for the keeper? You know, you know, you hear, like, of the goalkeeper's union when, like, you know, a keeper scores against another keeper and it's, they don't celebrate because it's keeper's union. It must be that. Did you, what, did, you, did you say anything to that keeper at the full-time whistle? Like, oh, well, that's the way it goes, mate, sometimes. <laughs> or... Let me dispel the myth. The goalkeeping union, it's, uh, everybody's after everybody's job. There's only one position you could have, so I'm not sure there's such a big thing as a goalkeeper union. There's, um, there's empathy, I suppose, is probably the best word. But uh, do you know what? He came on at half-time, the goalie. So their usual goalie, uh, Jamie Butler, played in the first half. And he come on, I don't know why, I still to this day don't know why he come off at half time. So this guy come on and started doing kick-ups. Like, that's not real. Like, I, I still can't get my head around it now. And I, Sympathy, not at all. I was too busy thinking, this is crazy. How have we done this? Yeah. Unbelievable. Un- unbelievable. <laughs> so that was then, so we, we after we kind of almost got over that, we followed up. Um, in our next game, a 2-0 win over Harrogate. That was Good Friday. And then on Easter Monday, we travelled up. And to be fair, we took really good numbers up to Solihull um, that ended in a 0-0 draw. That kind of, like a win would have pretty much guaranteed us promotion there and then. But typical Orient fashion, we had to drag it to the last game of the season. Uh, What do you remember of the Solihull kind of the day of it all, given that potentially that could have been promotion day? Was Was there... does the pressure that the fans' expectations have filter through to you guys at all? I think the only people on that day that weren't nervous were the eleven that played, and that is the that is the truth. Like every all the staff members you speak to, when I speak to Justin after players on the bench, fans were so nervous, so felt the weight and the pressure. In, in in game, like again, it was a boiling hot day. I remember it. It was a terrible game. The pitch was awful. It was dry and bobbly, and Solihull was Solihull. But on the pitch, it was just another game. Honestly, it sounds a little bit cliche, but it was just another game. There was no. It was. It was more. No, it wasn't. It, there was just. There was no. There was nothing. 
nothing at all, no nerves on the pitch whatsoever from the 11 that were playing. We were just in another game. And that's, and that's sometimes the beauty of football. When you get onto the pitch, you're in that moment. Nothing else is there with you on the training ground, on the pitch. You don't carry that with you. You go onto the pitch and you're just playing a game of football. And I think, I think that day, that was, that was, that was probably the biggest thing that, that we could do is just be calm because everything around it was holding its breath and about to go bonkers. Um, but like I say, on the pitch, we, we were calm. We, we, we were comfortable. We were we kept a clean sheet, which is, again, what we did most weeks. We, we were comfortable with that. We, we could dig in, like I said earlier. We, we gained that now. Um, we could go toe-to-toe with big, strong, solid holes. So we, we were comfortable. We were, we were fine on the pitch. And we took the point, although not certain, it was pretty much done, but we still had to get a result against Braintree. I mean, was that just another game in the build-up for you? I mean, there was so much riding on that game. Yeah. How, how were you feeling before that? The Braintree one? Um, I, I think you're right. I think the Solihull one, when we come off the pitch that day, we... we we knew we'd done it. I think that I think the swing for goal difference was massive, yeah. Or, or not massive, but six or seven six goals, and yeah. we just weren't going to chip six or seven goals. We just don't do that. Um, so I think the Solihull one was it. It was done. We 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 knew it was done. We knew it was done. We knew we could go and do a job. Um, and the Braintree one was really just it was. It wouldn't have been nice if we'd have won it at Solihull. We didn't have to endure that just come on get through this 90 minutes you know we could have all enjoyed it you could have enjoyed it we could have enjoyed it <laughs> I know we did but um, it was just one of those the Braintree one it was right it, it's uh, it, we just got to get it over with that was it funny enough that's what we were all thinking why couldn't you have just won it yeah. at Solly Hole <laughs> yeah you know um, but look the, the, the game was really kind of secondary to the actual occasion and then they had to clear the pitch, clear the field, literally clear the stadium so that they could present you all with the with the winner's trophy, which 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 took quite some day. And that was quite some celebrating that everybody did afterwards as well, right? Yeah, it was, um, you know what? It was amazing, really, because when we talked about it after the game, with all the fans coming onto the pitch, we refer back to the Colchester game, the last game where it was me, Macabon, um, we, we were like that, that's crazy the fact that Sarge was obviously there there was obviously a few of the Orient boys were there that day as well mm. to have two years later on been in a similar scenario but for completely different reasons was football throws these things up doesn't it every so often it's crazy um, yeah so we felt the emotion we felt the it all from from the fans that day and yeah, the, the celebrations were good. It was, it was, it was nice. It was nice to be able to share it with everybody. Um, it's a proper, proper family club. Uh, everybody got on. Um, all the families mixed together. The fans all mixed together. Um, I think if you go down into the second floor, the Legends Lounge, everybody, all the players are down there with their families, and will happily stop and chat. And I think it's a nice atmosphere. So that made celebrating even more easy. Um, and it, yeah, it was it was it was brilliant. What did what did you do at the full time whistle? Because obviously the TV focuses on Justin and Ross who have an embrace, 
Macabon is screaming F off Salford and you can see him <laughs> getting mopped. No one ever really focuses on the keeper. What, what do you do when the full time whistle goes? What are you doing? I got mobbed from behind, right? So if you watch, there's a video, there's a video that comes from the stand uh, behind, you know, where the normal camera is. And obviously I am to the left of the camera. And if you watch all the players, sub bench is up. So when you watch it back, watch Sarge. Sarge said to me before the game, what should we do, Dino? What should we do? I was like, I don't know, mate, just run to me and we'll just celebrate like maniacs, right? But so you watch this video back of when the whistle goes and they all run to the pitch. Sarge makes a beeline for me, right? And probably gets 30 yards into his run and probably I run towards him and end up about 10 yards apart. But there was like 2,000 people in the way. So I was me, me, and, me and Coles were hugging. And then, like I say, I was expecting Sarge, but Sarge couldn't get there. So we were just... just Bundles of people everywhere just shouting and cheering and yeah, get come on. It was just amazing. But like I say, when I watch it back, you watch Sarge, he makes a beeline straight for me, but doesn't get there. Brilliant. I love it. <laughs> Look forward to watching that one back. Um, so you spoke about yeah. celebrate. It was just like the perfect weekend, wasn't it? You win the league on the Saturday, Starman on the Sunday, and everyone had a good sing song. I particularly remember you on a table and a chair singing the Alex Lawless song, but like yes. your life depended on it. Doesn't sound like me, that, does it? <laughs> Shouting loud. Using your voice. Nah. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Sound like, it must, it must have been night. a reason. Nah, what a weekend, eh? What a weekend. Like I say, that, that topped it off. Like, we literally rolled out of bed the next morning into a suit, back into London, back to the Starman. Um... Craig Clay can obviously be the uh, example of them celebrations. But yeah, like what a weekend. What a weekend. Like, And then to, to finish off, like I said before, with with the mix of supporters and players and, and how comfortable everyone was with each other. Get it right. It wasn't just me on the chairs. There was, there was hundreds of people on the chairs singing and dancing, like all together. Like it was epic like I still watch the videos back and we still talk about that Starman um, dinner and the songs afterwards and it, 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 like it, I wish it would have gone on longer I really do yeah agreed yeah and no, I think Alex Lawless was actually on the table whereas you were on the chair I mean obviously the height differentiate slightly as well might, may have helped him but um, no there, there were people on tables and plenty of views on, on, on chairs as well it was probably arguably and we've not been to that many but probably one of the best ever Starman uh, awards so soon after that though um, you guys were rewarded with a trip to Marbella is that right for a post-season bonding getaway thank you very much congratulations on promotion holiday type thing yeah well I ain't got some sun yeah yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. fearing that you've got a story hiding up your sleeve somewhere <laughs> that I've, I've forgotten about. No, I, I actually don't. Um, I actually, I genuinely actually don't. I was hoping that you might be able to enlighten us with what you got up to, other than obviously a, a few shandies and whatnot. Reading James Dayton about in a wheelchair. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Dates was um, yeah, Dates was in a wheelchair, wasn't he? So yeah, we had a good time. We we did what a group of young men would do. We went out there and, and had a good drink and a good... There, there was such a great spirit amongst us. Like, we could have gone anywhere and it would have been just electric. Everybody got on. There was a real good balance to characters. Um, yeah, it, it, 
was it was it, it was historic. The trip was historic. Um, <laughs> the, the boys were all in good form. Obviously, there was a few staff members that came too, which which added to it, which was good. Um, yeah, dates in a wheelchair was brilliant because every bar we went, in, we got we got premium seats because obviously we had uh, little dates with us in a wheelchair. <laughs> little did they know that he was the hilarious little one in there. But um, yeah, it was it was brilliant. It really was brilliant, and and there wasn't a moment where the twenty five thirty of us that had travelled weren't together. We were always together, always. Love it, fantastic. Um, we st- you still had the FA Trophy final to come. So obviously, Justin had said sort of have a few days off, go and enjoy yourselves. Well, was it difficult then to off the back of you know a few days in Marbella to then have a couple of weeks before you were then having to get back into game game mode for the for the trophy final? It it, it wasn't difficult because like it, it was only a couple of days, so like. People go on nights out and stuff like that. Anyway, it's not, and you get odd, odd days off here and there. But the, the the difficult thing was the length of the time that we had to wait. It wasn't the fact that we'd been away. It was the fact of I think even if we hadn't gone away, the three weeks was such a long time mm. without a game. It and and obviously all that pressure, all that weight, it, it gone. That we didn't have that. That it gone. That we we won the league. We'd set out what we'd set out to do. There wasn't that intense. Like I said, maybe because the time that lapsed from the game to get the end of season to to the game, or the fact that there was just that big monkey off our back, just oh, breathe. Um, I think if we'd have gone straight into it a week after the season, I think I think we'd have won it. I don't think we were far off winning it. Matt Harold's backside got in the way of. Um, yeah, it did. I had to get that one in uh, <laughs> of, an, of, of a goal scoring opportunity, but we weren't far away. But I, I do genuinely think if we'd have been the week after, we'd have won it. We'd have been too much for them. We, we were the two previous games in the season, but hey ho, we won the league. Yeah, it wasn't to be. I guess a disappointing game when you look back, and I guess in hindsight, no one knew what was the drama that was to follow, but. For that season in, you made 54 appearances, 24 clean sheets, which we believe is the joint record of clean sheets for our keeper for a season. Yeah, I think I think that's about right, yeah. It's incredible. So well played for that one. But like we said, three weeks after the FA Trophy, we were all heart, heartbroken with yeah. the past and adjusting Edinburgh. I mean, what, what, what were you feeling when you found out the news? Um, we'd obviously we'd obviously been given news prior to the announcement and to the actual day, so we kind of knew something was up. But you don't tend to think that something's that up. You just think, ah, like, oh, it's bad, isn't it? Like, but it'll be all right. Like, we might not get him back for the start of the season or something like that. He might have to take a break, or what do we do if he has to take a break? Um, then we got a text message. I'm sure you've heard this story before. I think Matty might have told this story about. We got a text message uh, via WhatsApp group with a uh, a number to to get into a, a call with everybody. And obviously Martin and Ross and a few of the players were out in in Boston, so 
when we got that text message through saying there was a a call, uh, you well, I can I can tell you where exactly where I was. I, it was my wedding anniversary, and I was upstairs on my landing, and we were bathing the kids. And I said to my missus, I said, and my mother-in-law was here as well because she was having the kids because we were going out for dinner. And I said, I've just got a message about a call. I said, I don't like it. And then I had a few messages from a few of the boys um, saying, what's happened? What's happened? Do you know any more than us? And I was like, I ain't got a clue. I've not spoken to anyone. I've not spoken to Ross. I've not spoken to Josh. I've not spoken to anyone. So I remember coming downstairs, having that nervous, gutty feeling because I didn't know, I had no idea what was going on. So I remember sitting in this exact chair that I'm sat in now and the, the, the call being had and Martin telling us all what had happened and <clears throat> uh, and that he had no real other information apart from, from what had happened and coming away from the call and just sitting in, in the chair and just being completely and utterly gobsmacked. Um, shell shocked, shell shocked. I remember going out for dinner that night. We actually went out for dinner. My missus come down and said, "You're right." And I, I didn't really get emotional. I was shocked, and I remember the mother-in-law saying, "Look, I'll take care of the kids. You two go out, have a drink, like take it in, be together, whatever." And I remember just sitting there at the the restaurant with my missus. I remember just looking straight at her and just like being void, and her going. I'm so sorry like and she was in shock because like I said before it was it was a family affair Justin knew our kids we got our kids presents <clears throat> it was quite emotional um, and so it, it affected them all and the phones were going crazy obviously because all the players were messaging and it, uh, it was bonkers it was crazy crazy time <coughs> sorry no, not at all. Don't need to apologise. It's uh, it's it's still tough, and it's so two years. Yesterday was was the actual day, um, obviously of 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 him passing. Um, so obviously the summer happens. The world of football, unfortunately, still still sort of carries on, um, and you know we're part of that. So we have to we have to kind of look look forward. So how do you kind of get your head back into? Okay, that's happening, and I've got to grieve and deal with my emotions on that. On the one hand, but actually, I'm needed for pre-season. I'm needed for this, for this season coming up. How do you kind of? How did you deal with, with that side of things? Given such I think a the best thing, we did, the best thing we did was all got together again. The majority of the group was together. We met up in the summer, uh, prior, uh, previous to it. Um, we'd all grieve together we'd all cry together we'd all talk together um, the togetherness was, was crazy we've still got a, a group now a WhatsApp group where we talk um, and the togetherness was just was just crazy and then when we went back to pre-season again we were all together so we were it was almost strength in numbers so if someone was having a bad day the rest of us were there if it was a couple of people or we was all having a good day. It was great because we'd all been remembering him. Um, and like you say, and I said it before, once you get onto the, once you get onto the pitch and you start playing, every, like, it is weird. Anything just disappears out of your head. You, you very rarely do carry it with you. Um, 
and I would say the same about pre-season. You know, Paul said it was two years yesterday. It's obviously, you know, it's still quite hard to talk about. You're obviously quite emotional speaking about finding out. But what would you take away from your relationship with Justin? And and, and what type of person was he? Because everyone still speaks about him in such a, a great manner. We obviously still love him. There's so much, like we've done a tweet yesterday and he gets so much engagement. I mean, what, what, yeah, what, what would you take away from your relationship with Justin? Um, I am I'll forever be grateful because he gave me an opportunity to to put an end to a good end to a career that I'd worked so hard to, from a kid to get to I felt like I'd been robbed a little bit when I had my, my, my first serious injury and I'll be forever grateful for him that I got to finish my football career on the up uh, not many people get to do that. Um, a togetherness, a real togetherness and a bond that like I've talked about before with with a group of people that whether he was he's here or he wasn't, he created that. He created that bond. Like I talked about the magnet earlier, he was the magnet that drew us all together. I'm sure we would have been good friends, but he, when he was here, he... he he polarised it. He brought us all together. He he encouraged the family side of things. He bonded families. He bonded kids, um, older members of families. He he was he was he was the light in the room. He he, he was Justin. He was he was a big smile. He was a big character. He was a leader, but. He, he understood people and he cared. He cared about people. And that was, they're probably the biggest things that I take from him. And he let us in as well. He, that, that's what I think a lot of people still to this day are, get emotional about. He let us into his family. He let us in. He, he let us get to know Kerry and Sydney and Charlie. Like he let us in. And, and in football, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen. People don't let you in. There is always guards up. But with us, he let us in, and we let him in, and that was that was that was incredible. Yeah, strange strange to hear because normal work colleagues generally then do tend to talk about the kids and the families, and or if you don't have kids, but but your families in general. So it, it seems you know, all right, you don't necessarily all go out together. People don't live locally, and and, and so on. But but it, it's it's amazing to hear these kind of things because obviously as fans, we don't get to see. Or hear about that, you know, it's not written in the program. Oh, everybody got together with their families. That's you know, that's that's not a criticism. That's just obviously how it is. So the fact that here, the fact that we're now hearing this this kind of stuff is for me fantastic because it in in um, it takes on everything that we're about being a family club. Definitely, and he embraced that, and that's uh, and that's why we loved him. You guys loved him, and that was why it was a, it was a perfect match. Yeah. So moving on into the following season we were back in the football league it was a very emotional uh, first game of the season we had Cheltenham at home if you remember we won 1-0 um, and it seemed written in the stars that Josh Wright was going to pop up and score the goal and it was a very emotional game I mean what, what was that like for you because if you remember as well Luke Varney had a penalty appeal quite early on which you've got to be fair Dean looked like you brought him down to be honest with me <laughs> so 
I'll go back to the start when you said, what do you remember? Not much. Because if you remember, I come off of concussion. So Luke Varney need me in the head for the record. He leaves his leg there, as strikers do, and he caught me in the temple. But I remember, I pretty much remember, and, this, and again, it goes back to, I remember right the build-up to it. I remember the warm-up. I remember having my picture taken with the mascots. I remember the cuddle with Josh Coulson. I remember the huddle was ridiculously emotional. There was grown men two minutes before kickoff in floods of tears in that huddle. And I, that's the only huddle I've ever been in, by the way, for the record. Because I, they usually have the huddle after I go in. And even as, as a coach, I've never been in a huddle. So that's the only huddle I've ever been in at Leighton Orient was the Justin one. And it was super emotional. Um, and then after that, I kind of come to in hospital. So I know Josh Wright scored and it was written in the stars. But other than that, I wouldn't be able to tell you loads apart from I repeated myself four million times to one of the, uh, the medical staff that day. <laughs> so then... I mean, it was, a, it was a great day in Cheltenham, to be fair to them, were fantastic to us. Their fans were absolutely unbelievable, considering they had no real connection with us or, or, or Justin. It was it was an amazing occasion, I guess. You know, our first first game back in the Football League, Justin passing, Josh Wright scoring, the Cheltenham fans, everything about it was just unbelievable. Um, but then you became part of the 100 Club, the Orient 100 Club more specifically, on the 27th of October, making your... 100th appearance for us. How, how did that feel for you? Was that, was that just another game? No, nah, it was special. That was special because I hadn't missed one. No. I don't, I don't think I did. I think I played 103 straight. I don't think I missed That's one. That's right. Because, um, yeah, we used to get tweets in saying that Sargent should be played in the trophy games. And there was a lot of rotation, yeah. wasn't there, in the trophy games. But he ne- the one position, Justin never rotated. Yeah. Yes, but I think I played my 103 pretty much straight out. So, um, yeah, that that was special because I've played played over 400 games now and 100 of them were for Orient and 100 were for for Luton, who were my boyhood club, who I'd grown up. I was playing from 10 years old to 23 years old. Um, So to have almost a master similar in such a short period of time for a club that had only been at for such a short uh, spell. Uh, yeah, it was special. And that you'd started as a goalkeeping coach initially. Adds even yeah, even more fairy tale, yeah. yeah. So it was a rocky season. As you'd expect, a difficult first season back in the Football League. Ross Embleton took charge um, on an interim basis, left us in a great position. We'd just come off thrashing Grimsby at their place, 4-0, and the club appointed Carl Fletcher, uh, who only, I think, lasted 29 days when we look back, appointed in mid-October, sacked the 14th of November. I mean, what can you tell us about this period from a player's perspective? Because it seemed to go downhill, not gradually, almost instantly, if you like. I think it was always going to be tough for whoever came in. I think Ross put a bit of distance there between Justin and the next one. But Ross was still Justin, if that makes sense. So for the next one to come in was was always going to be tough. 
Um, and I think the club recognised that pretty quickly. Like, listen, sometimes in football, things happen. Um, and what I talked about earlier about, uh, this is probably the one exception, about the, the point of no return for managers, that that usually rumbles on a few more games and then they go. Well, this didn't. This they 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 cut the cord quick on this one. Yeah. Um, it, it just it just it just didn't work. Like there's nothing against Carl Fletcher. He was a very good coach actually. On the grass, he was exceptional. Really, really good. Um, but for whatever reason, the same as Justin just fitted. He just didn't. Right. Um, and I think the club just. I think they've been through so much that they were just like right. We're just going to cut the cord straight away, rather than let this this bleed a little bit. Because Ross had handed him handed him the squad over off the back of two or three wins, I think it was. We'd just beaten Grimsby away, Walsall at home, and yep. arguably, all right, in in the in the in the league, you know, we'd beaten Northampton Town. So there was three games in the league that he then handed over. And I remember in the Carlisle game, so we'd lost to Plymouth in his first game, four 0 and then we had. Um, then we had Carlisle at home. And I remember that first, there were two very different halves of football. In the first half of football, first all, we yeah, unbelievable, um, like watching Brazil. It was incredible. Yeah, it was like, who, who is this team that I'm watching here? And then it all went to pot yeah. in the second half. It's like, oh, they've clearly gassed out in the first half and they're not going to keep that. Yeah, we couldn't keep that up, but we didn't know that at the time. We're like, what, what, where's the squad from the first half? What's happened here? Yeah. Yeah, do you know what it felt like that as well? It felt like first half. Do you know what? Look, look I'm picturing it in my mind now. The first half was a sunny, bright, beautiful day. Yeah. The second half felt like hell. Oh my goodness! It felt yeah. yeah. It felt like the pitch was boggy. It felt like the, the heavens were going to open. And the clouds were about three foot away from us. It felt horrible. Yeah. And that's the memory I've got of that game as well. So yeah, I'm with you on that. It was yeah. two complete different games. Did you get to say goodbye to Carl? I mean, was there even a... In the space of four weeks, he's there and then he's not there. Did he even have a goodbye? Did you get to say goodbye to him? Were you that bothered without sounding harsh? It alludes back to what I said about it was different under Justin that we everybody bonded and you said, oh, that's that's... I didn't realise that not everybody let everybody in because when you're at work, you speak about kids and stuff. In football, you are passing ships in the night. You just hear one minute, best friends the next, boom, and you're off, and that is it. Yeah, we'll keep in touch. You never do any football all tell you. You never do. You, you keep in touch with... I can count on one hand how many I talk to as like close friends. Like Everyone I've played with, brilliant. Always got on with everyone, brilliant. And it's, and it's a similar thing with managers as well. It's, we didn't get a chance to say goodbye. It happened on our day off. Um... A few of the senior members got told early in the morning before everybody got told, but it, that's that's the norm, that, and and that's it. He went, we carried on, no hard feelings. Away you go. That is football. Unfortunately, it's the same when a player leaves. It's you here one minute, you're gone the next. That that is football. Unfortunately, and mm. and it was the same with Carl. It just it was obviously it just happened so fast. Yeah, we, we sort of, as Steve said, we'd gone downhill rather rapidly. There was no gradual element to this. It was just literally sort of cliff edge. Oh, there it is. We go down it. And obviously then Ross came uh, back in and took over the reins uh, again. And after, 
20 appearances in the first half of the season. You sustained an injury in late December in 2019. What do you remember when you picked up that injury? Ouch. Uh, <laughs> at the time, I, I, didn't, I didn't think it was as bad as what I thought it was. And what it turned out to be... So when I found out that it was bad, it was... I don't know, it's hard to explain. I put it this way, I had the conversation pretty quick after I found out what it was, what was coming next with regards to the club spoke to me about coaching again and I spoke to them back about coaching again because I'd been through a serious, serious knee injury up in Scotland that halted my career. I played probably six to eight months with a shoulder injury that's chronic that was doesn't didn't allow me to train fantastically often um and then when this happened it was kind of like oh really again and obviously with the whole justin thing on your back as well it was kind of like okay like it was a relief when i had the conversation both ways let me put it that way so that was it. That was like the point of no return. So I guess you knew as a player it was done, but you had the kind of carrot or the, the guarantee of the coaching that makes it, I guess, easier for you and you get to stay to stay at the club. Yeah, I, like I say, I'm, I was lucky to get... I'm grateful that I got the first opportunity out of nowhere to become a, a first-team goalkeeper coach at such a good club from Martin. I then am... Hugely grateful that I got to play for a fantastic club under Justin and have the success I had. And then again, thirdly, to to be thought of highly enough to be kept on and given another opportunity to do something that I am passionate about, coaching. Um, luck, grateful, whatever you want to call it. It's, it, 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 was, uh, it was brilliant. It was, it was an opportunity that... That I loved. I love football and I've loved being at the club. I love the people at the club. Um, so to obviously get a chance to... And, and on my terms as well, the injury, like I said today, there was a conversation both ways. It wasn't just me. It wasn't just them. It was it was mutual. I, I'd had enough. My body had had enough. Like I'd, I'd had this... If you look at my left leg, I've probably got about 14 inches of scarring on my left leg across my knee and my hamstring at the back of my leg. So... I just, I just had it. My body had had enough, and I knew it. And and the mental side with Justin not being there, also, you got to remember when Justin brought me back, he was, he was the big one behind me, stood there pushing me, going, "Come on, then let's go. You come with me. I'm, I'm taking you with me." For him not to be there, that was hard as well. So when when this conversation was had to go back onto the staff, it was perfect timing. It was perfect transition. Um, it was as smooth as it could come, really. And then Ross became permanent. Um, head coach in January, um, uh, on a, obviously on a permanent sort of full time basis, and then in the transfer window, the club signed Lawrence Vigaru. Um, for us, from a fan perspective, very highly rated. From a professional ba- from a professional perspective, the same or greater than in that? terms of myself. Yeah, when they signed Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I I know. I when when I had the conversation, I was part of the com- the, the conversations to to bring him back. Um, obviously, he'd been spoken about, 
Um, but I was part of the conversations. I, I'd spoken with Ross before. Ross had worked with uh, Lawrence before and Martin, and they'd always spoke highly of him. Yeah. Um, so I knew that was so as soon as they brought his name up and I did my, my research and looked into it as much as I could in in the few days leading up to him signing, I was part of that process. That was I was just as excited as anybody else to see to see this guy come in and and, and obviously be able to work with him. What a keeper. <sighs> what a keeper. Very much. Do you think he's do you think he's capable of playing at a higher level than League Two that he currently is? Hundred percent. One hundred percent. Championship. Let me follow that up. Let me follow that up, then, Dean. Do you think he will play higher next season than League Two? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Is probably the safest answer I could say. Now, I, do you know what? I don't know. I speak to Lawrence. Like you call me an idiot if I told you that I I didn't speak to him. Like I do speak to him, but what I said earlier about this time of the season being a dead zone. It is a dead zone. There's, there's nothing going on. So I know Lawrence has is, is love loves being at Orient. He loves it. He's devastated there was no fans this year to celebrate. He's a big character. He like he loves people. He's just he wants people there. He so he was gutted that that wasn't there. So I know he loves it here. I know he can play higher. I know he can. Um, so I, I think. What you can't do is begrudge players for using this time to not poke their noses elsewhere and see what's there, but just to have that little bit of time to go, right, what is next? What is next for Lawrence Figueroa? Now, I know as fans and as staff, you want your players to sign. As soon as the season finishes, bang, this is what we got. But I think I do think this time is used a lot by players to step back and go, right, what is next for me? And I think that's pretty much where Lawrence is at at the minute. That's fair enough. And like I say, hopefully, hopefully that'll be with Leighton Orient. And then you progress through the leagues with Lawrence Figaro. So hopefully that's that's what the conclusion is. But I don't, I genuinely don't know. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> we, we... Is that enough on the fence? Did I sit on the fence enough there? Or... Yeah, I think you might have a splinter or two, actually. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, for, for, from us, Lawrence was an outstanding goalkeeper, kept us in numerous games, saved penalties, saved, goal, go, saved goals that he probably had no right to save. I mean, that's that for us. We, we saw everything from him and he's just an absolutely brilliant, brilliant goalkeeper. It is a shame that we were never there to see him in the flesh. Um, so let, let's fast forward. I'm quite conscious of the time. We're just coming up to, to 80 minutes um, here. So let's move on then to the season uh, that's just finished. And I think we alluded to it just before we started recording. It's a bit of a bizarre season for us to be watching. How did you find it from a staff perspective? And I guess speaking from being within camp, how was it from, from a, a club perspective, if you like? Obviously, the protocols and stuff made things different. But again, when we were lucky that we were working, um, I'd get up in the morning, I'd drive to the training ground, I'd train, I'd come home. We'd have pre-season games. So the protocols around it were different, but actually our lives were pretty similar. We, we were really lucky that we were living pretty normal lives. Yeah. Um, the season, like you say, was bonkers. It was crazy. Uh, to start with... I think as coaches, we enjoyed the empty stadiums because 
it felt a little bit like training and you could have an effect on games, you could influence games without any emotion there. But as the season went on, you miss the emotion. You want someone else, you want the emotion to influence games. If, if that makes sense, there's like yeah. a third party that needs to be there to make this work. 12th man. So the, player, the players are one, yeah. the staff's another, but then the biggest one is the people that bring the emotion, that bring the drama, that bring the the strength, the weakness, everything that everything that comes with football. Uh, pretty quickly, I, I would say five or six games in, people knew it was this. This was different. It's not. It's not. It's not ideal. Mm. And when you look back, does the fact that Lawrence Vigaru took so many plaudits, how does that feel as his coach? Because essentially, you know, he's learning from you. So when he's getting plaudits, I guess you're the man behind the man. Um. I would say there's there's men behind the men. So you speak to Lawrence, I guarantee you he'll bring up Sarge's name. Sarge has probably given Lawrence something that Lawrence has never had. Lawrence, or maybe he has had, but the respect that he has for Sarge and how hard Sarge works and how dedicated Sarge is has definitely rubbed off on Lawrence. Um so as and Reese, obviously I mentioned Reese about um Reese coming back with us. Um Lawrence took on the mantle of helping a young goalkeeper out. I'm not sure if he's done that in his career before. So I think as a group, how we've managed the season has probably been the biggest factor. Now, don't get me wrong, Lawrence is out there, Lawrence is producing the saves, Lawrence is calling the shots. Lawrence is picking the passes. Lawrence is, is is executing it. It's all on Lawrence. Lawrence is a fantastic goalkeeper and he's out there on his own. Once we're over that line, that's him. That's all him. But I think the environment that we create has probably helped him. And I'd hope he would think the same. I think he does think the same. Flourish. I think it just worked. Um, I think I got him. I got him. He's a big character, Lawrence. And I think he's a little bit misunderstood. Um, but he is a lovely, lovely fella. And I just think it works. Like I say, Sarge is fantastic. Reese is fantastic. They're all good guys. And I just think as a unit, it worked really well. Whenever we have people on from the club, and it's a question that a fan asked us later, but it feels like an apt time to pull it in. You've said how great Sam Sargent is. Ross Embleton has told us how great Sam Sargent is. Everyone says how great Sam but he always seems to be the number two and he's still fairly young as a keeper I appreciate that but what how does Sam Sargent become a number one or is it just a case of biding his time and he will make it as a number one he's ready he is 100% ready um, if uh, he's ready if, if, if it was if it's his time it's, it's ultimately there's one position the manager decides and ultimately, that's it. If he gets his opportunity, he takes it for me. He is, he is ready. He is 100% ready. I've seen him change a lot from that young boy that I looked after when I first come in to took, taking his shirt, to him taking mine, to now him changing even more under Lawrence and me and Reese. He's, he is he's beyond ready. He, he just needs to play. He just needs to play. 
and that is it. And I think for the young goalkeepers, I feel when he was younger, he should have played more football, whether that with Orient or out on loan. I think I think there's a big EFL thing at the minute about people, uh, the, all the England team have played um, EFL games. So if you drop that down a level, our young pros need to be playing at the levels below us to get to us. And I think that's a little bit of what he missed out on when he first come into it. Um, but he is ready. If he gets the opportunity, he is ready. He is a very, very good young goalkeeper. Great to hear. Great to hear. So we've not really mentioned Ross Embleton much uh, in this podcast. Obviously, another pivotal um, staff member of Orient has done so much. I mean, did you feel the writing on, was on the wall for Ross after that 3 0 defeat to Tram? Because as fans, I think we could feel the hammer coming down. Yeah, I, I felt there was. Yeah, def- definitely a little bit of pressure. I didn't think it would. I think. I think the 3-0 didn't help. I don't think we as a staff felt like we were in that much trouble. We we just dropped outside of the top eight or nine. Um, we, were, we were steadily consistent in the fact of we would probably win three, lose three, win three, lose three. So we knew what we were getting from the group. So we knew at some point you're going to have a good run, a bad run. Um, and we were just in the middle of that 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 bad run, and it went on for a bit, probably a bit longer than, than we would have liked it to. But we knew the pressure was ramping up. Um, did I expect it? Probably, probably not. As soon as it came, I thought there was. I thought the point of no return would have bundled us on a couple more games. If I was honest, yeah, we were already three 0 down before Jamie Turley. I think he came on with his first touch of the. First touch of the game, I think, if I remember that rightly. And um, he's, he's pulled a goal back, but it, it wasn't enough. So once you'd heard the news that Ross was being relieved of his duties, how did you feel um, about that? Because obviously he'd been on this journey from day one, like like yourself, really. He was one of the first employees back in the building. I was gutted. I was well and truly gutted, as well as him. It, it, like I say, he's a good friend of mine. I speak to him pretty much every day. Um, I was gutted. I genuinely, genuinely was gutted. Um, that's, yeah, I was gutted. Yeah. I was gutted, but at the same time, I know Ross and I know what we've been through and I know what it's given him uh, and the opportunity he had he, he probably never dreamed he would get. So I know he'll, be, I know he'll use this to, to become better and I owe Ross a lot because... He is a fantastic coach. He's a fantastic friend and he has helped me a lot. And I still, to this day, will phone him up and say, what do you think about this, mate? What do you think about that, mate? To, to do with football, like, could I do that or could I do this? And he, he's a big, big, big influence in my coaching career. So, yeah, I was, I was gutted that I weren't going to work, work with him and it, and it didn't quite work out like we wanted it to work out. Um, but at the same time, we've been on this amazing journey. Yeah. And it was quite a swift turnover because Ross was relieved of his duties just after the Tranmere game and quite shortly after, Joby McEnough uh, was appointed on an interim basis. I mean, it's obviously a bit of sweet, right? Because obviously you're very close to Ross, as you said, but you obviously must be fairly close to Joby as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
again, that's football. Like, that is football. And unfortunately, it moves at the speed of light. It waits for no one. It is, we've got another game coming. Um, this, is probably only t- this is probably the only point in the season when everyone feels like, well, what's going on? <laughs> what's happening in football? It feels like it's come to a halt. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fine. Like, like I say, I, I got huge respect for Joby. Uh, he was my captain, still is my captain. Um, it was weird calling him gaffer, um, which I struggled with quite a lot. Uh, but it, yeah, it was fine. It was fine. I, I wanted. I, I phoned him up when we found out he got it, and we had a good conversation. And it was like, yeah, what do you need? Let, let's go. I'm, I'm with you. Let's let's do the best we can. And that that was pretty much how it worked. So then. Fast forward, the season's now finished and then on the 5th of June, the club announced that you were going to be leaving to take up a new role at Tottenham Hotspur, working with their under-18s and also their, their under-23s. So t- tell us, how has this role come about for you? And congratulations, obviously. I'm disappointed to obviously lose you, but um, you know, it's a Premier League club at the end of the day, so fair, fair play and kudos to you as well. So h- how did this come about? Um... Same as any job comes about, really. There's an, there's an opportunity to come up. Um, I, like I said to you before about uh, uh, about the young the young goalkeepers, I, I, I enjoyed working with them. Um, Reece Byrne was was a big reason. Like I, I, I love seeing his development. I love working with the young players and pros and helping them and trying to guide them. And um, and so when this role come up, like you say, at a Premier League club an elite Premier League club to work with goalkeepers specifically of that age bracket. It was something that I thought would be good for me and good for my coaching pathway and coach my, my, my coaching learning. Um, it's a side that I've never seen before. 23s football, 18s football. Obviously I played when I was a kid, but, I've been in a professional game for 17 odd years. So it was maybe more, but, and do you know what it was as well? It was the intrigue of, right, I'm going to go for an interview. I'm going to go for an interview. I've got to write a CV. I've got to go through a process and see if I get it. And again, that was, it's something that I like, like I want to challenge myself. I think you only get better if you challenge yourself. And, and that was part of it. It was like, okay, if I go for it and I don't get it, and it's an experience that I've been through, if, it, if I go for it and I get it, wow, what an opportunity. Um, so that, that's, that's really how it come about. I interviewed and, and, and went through the whole process and, and, and luckily enough, I got the job. So normally someone would start off at an academy and then go through to a first team. I guess you've kind of slightly done the reverse in terms of you as goalkeeping coach at a first team at Leighton Orient and you're moving into an academy albeit at a premiership club. Yeah, I think I think more and more these days, ex pros are going into the role. Is um, but you're right. You you should you you usually would start off at the lower echelons of football and work your way up. And to be fair, I coached when I was even when I was playing at Orient and coaching the first time. I coached all through the academy. I coached from twelves up to sixteens on uh, Monday and Wednesday nights. So even when I was playing, I was going and coaching um, the lower levels. I've coached locally, lower like grassroots, younger levels. So I have kind of gone that way into that was where I gained my first bit of coaching experience. Um, 
but yeah, to, I can understand why people might think you're going. Well, well first team football's the, the the pinnacle. Why are you why are you dropping back to 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 the path to the pinnacle? It, it, want for a better phrase, but it it was it's it's definitely to change me something new that I haven't done before. And like I said, it's an elite environment that these opportunities don't come up very often to to get into clubs like that. Good, good prospects for the future as well. So, um, a couple of quick fire questions for you. Um, what was your favourite Orient match that you obviously were in or, or, st- or were on the staff of? Favourite Orient match? You got one? One that you felt that was, for whatever reason, you were least busy, most busy, penalty save, any, anything that you think that you want to attach to it being a... It's, it's got to be Solihull, I think. It's got to be the Sonny Hall one when the draw, right? Because the feeling, the feeling after the game was just massive. It was, it was. It, I remember doing an interview for BT. I think it was me and Dan did it live, that happy live. It, it just, it felt like, yeah, we're champions. That's it. And and then the fact that it was a horrible game as well. It was just horrible. It was rubbish. But it was what needed to be done. Getting on the coach afterwards, everybody, you could see everybody go. Oh, okay, okay, we're there, we're there. I know it was it was formalities, but that was a big, 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 big game for us, and and I think that was probably that was probably my favourite moment. This might be a very obvious answer, and apologies if it is, but your favourite save in an Orient shirt—I think I know what you're going to say. But are there any other ones that stand out for you? You mentioned the Solihull one, as it was kind of rolling behind you. Yeah, the Solihull one. Um, other ones other than this. Uh, no, not really. Not um, not 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 uh, not have as as big a significance as the old shot one. And do you know what? As a goalkeeper, the ones that you fly and tip onto the post are the best ones anyway. So. Yeah, I'd have to say I'm going to go with the obvious and say the older shot one. Um, there was there was some funny moments, like I say the one I described earlier at Solihull, where Colt is screaming my name to pick the ball up and it's behind me, it was quite funny. And and there was a couple of other ones that were good, but um, for me that that was by by far the one that I'll remember for the rest. So we were lucky enough to contact a few of your um, ex teammates. We've already discussed Josh Coulson, who said. Dean will laugh if you say, why does Coulson always shout Dino, Dino, Dino that you've covered um, brilliantly? There's one from Matt Harold. So he's got a message for you. He says, my roommate Brillo snores like Darth Vader, didn't stop talking about his order shot safe and never stopped talking about his shoulder. Well, I've covered all of that so far, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was, was love cycling, loved cycling as much as his kids. True. Great guy, great guy. I could always hear him. Massive personality in goal and a superb coach from Matt Harold. Oh, Matty, you speak softy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give him some abuse in a minute. No, he's, he's brilliant, mate. He was my roomie as well. He kept me sane a few times. Um, <laughs> and I do love, well, I don't know. No, he's, he's lying. I don't love cycling as much as my kids. He's lying. Um, it's very close. 
very close. Very close, yeah. There's probably a few inches or, or percentile points in it. Um, we had quite a few questions from Facebook and, and the forums and, and, and Twitter. Uh, Gary Wright on Facebook asked about your, uh, says about your order shot saves, the best he's seen live. Was it your best save or have you made a better save in your career? Just, just for those listening, um, Dean's really scratching his head over this one. Hence the long yeah. pause. No, save. No, it wasn't. No, otherwise you'd have thought about it by now. Warren Barnes on Facebook asks, "What's your favourite memory of Justin Edinburgh?" So it wouldn't be one exact memory, but there wasn't. There was so before every game. Um, Justin would never be out pitch side watching warm-ups. He'd pop his head out and then go back in. And I would always go back in before everybody. Um, I finished my warm-up early. Like I said, I missed all the huddles. But there would be a two, probably a five-minute period where I would walk back into the changing rooms, home and away, and it would just be me and Justin sat in there. And it was weird. We never really spoke about the game. We spoke about other stuff. Just for five minutes, I was getting stark naked, uh, getting my training, getting my match kit on, and he was wandering about. I think it was both of us just calming before the storm. And that was for every single game, every single game. And he used to say one thing to me before the game, before everybody, you could hear the feet coming back into the tunnel. And just before everyone come in, he'd go, don't go quiet on me today, big man. Don't go quiet on me. And that he would do before every game. And that is my favourite memory. Oh, amazing. I never went quiet. I remember, sorry, I remember you and Jake Caprice. I don't know if that's what you were going to say, Steve, when he... It was exactly what I was going right. to say. It was exactly what Go I was going it. to say. Jake, Jake Caprice got done on the right-hand side. I can't remember who he was playing against. Someone outpaced him and he was puffing. He conceded a corner. And I just remember you shouting at him, something like, Jake... Jay, come on, but just watch what's going on. And he went, oh, I mean, it's tough. And you, you went something like, I know it's tough. I know it's tough, Jake, but come on. Or something like along yeah, those yeah. lines, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't know if it was Jake or Juddy. I think it might have been Juddy, you know. No, it was definitely Jake Caprice. Was it Jake? Yeah. Oh, okay. 100%. Because it was yeah. at our end at the South Stand. It was, yeah. Yeah, 100%. You're yeah. right, Steve. He just conceded a corner and he went, oh, it's yeah, but- hard. It's hard, Brillo. It's hard. And you went, yeah, I know it's hard. Something like, yeah, or, or it's tough. Yeah, oh, I, don't have to, I don't have to run, do I? So it's easy for me to say that. Yeah, exactly. And he's quite quick. He's very fast as well. So for him to be outpaced um, was quite something. Um, and then the second part of his question was, what quality do you feel he's passed on to you? Justin. Yeah. Um, what quality? Um, I think it's just highlighted the fact of how you treat people. I think you've the way Justin treated everybody was the same. He, tra- he treated everybody as a human being. Um. And and properly, he treated them properly, and that that's probably the, that's the biggest thing I'll take away from Justin, is 
no matter what the circumstance, whether he was getting rid of players or what, he treated him exactly the same. Whether you was his favourite player, the oldest player, the youngest player, the tea lady, whoever, he treated people exactly the same. You, everybody was... Justin was Justin and that's how he treated people. And for me, that goes a long, long way. I think if you treat people like that, whether people like you or not is another matter. But if you treat people properly... No one can ever say that. No, nah, this guy's not. This guy's not straight down the line. This guy's not proper. He's he's got. So for me, that's the biggest thing: the way he treated everybody. We've got a question from Fish on the forum. He says, "How much does Dean uh, feed? How much info does Dean feed into his keepers regarding your position? Is there much? Is there much regarding penalty takers and how people play one on ones and stuff like that? Do you do much analysis with your keepers?" Yeah, we do quite a bit. The games, the games definitely change. So, this we've got a fantastic analyst, um, Joe and uh, Charlie George at the club, and they do a lot of the team stuff. Now, within the team stuff, I would work with them, and they actually taught me how to to create my own videos and stuff like that, which doesn't sound that hard for people that are good with computers, but for footballers that have never had to use them, so. I put. I would. I would work with them and find patterns um, of attacking patterns, goal scored, set plays, specific things that strikers or wingers or whoever threats would do, and I would put them into a video for the goalkeepers. That uh, we had different ways of doing it. One, one sometimes we'd sit down together, we'd talk through it on this big screen. Other times we'd, I'd send it through on WhatsApp and we'd talk about it before training. Um, so. We, we did. We do. We do do quite a lot, and then training. There is elements of training that will be geared differently to to different opposition that we play, um, and the boys will actually, the goalkeepers will actually relate to that within a drill that we're doing. They'll be like, oh, "Okay, this is so and so doing that," and I'll be like, "Exactly, that's why we're doing it." So if we can do this, that will help. Blah blah blah. So quite a bit. The game's definitely evolved into into that. Uh, we've lost. You were safety penalties. We were. Yeah. Oh, am I there? Yeah, you're back now. Yeah, all good. Um, we would draw. So the penalties. If you'd taken fifty penalties, um, we would draw up a, a, a diagram of where you went, patterns, where you'd scored, what the goals were, what the score was. So before the games, me and Lawrence and Sarge would always sit down and have a look. Right, this guy's playing today. It's probably going to be him that takes the penalty. We'd all come to a decision of, yeah, this is the way he's going to go. That's what we're going to do today. And then on the bench, uh, give away a bit of a secret, but we would, I would always signal to Lawrence. <clears throat> so we'd have a signal. Um, and it was up to him whether he decided to take that signal or not. So, But it was always collaborated. So <clears throat> we'd have always discussed which way he was going to go. I was just reaffirming it. So if he'd forgot... Um, so yeah it's, it's quite a bit goes into it nowadays it's definitely evolved a lot more and Donut on the forum along this line actually quite conveniently says how is keeping these days different from say 10 or 15 years ago has technique changed for example coming for crosses and distribution yeah I, I think I think it's it's changed listen the goal is to keep it out of the net basically but I think the values that of different ways of doing it now are probably more accepted now. Um, there's so many different types of goalkeepers, different styles of goalkeepers. 
um, different attributes. Everybody's trying to get to the same goal, but I think it's it's definitely changed a lot in. When I was growing up, it was, this is the way you do it. This is the way you catch the ball. This is the way you train. This is the way you behave in the goal. This is how you should look in the goal. Whereas now, I think it's it's each to their own. As long as you provide the service for the team, I think I think that's it. And, and like I say, along with the obvious things, the analysis, the sports science and stuff like that, it, it's become much more in-depth position. Um, but it's definitely, definitely evolved into a position where... Uh, it's, it's not one size fits all. We've got a message from Wadzi who says, Hi chaps, uh, I've not got a question, more of an apology, and Dean won't even remember this, but it was February 2019, FA Trophy, third round at home to Blood Spartans. Me and my kids were sitting behind the goal in the South Stand, pretty dull game, and I remember Brillo turning around and saying to me, Blimey, this is a bit boring, isn't it? How much longer till half time? I looked at my new Apple iWatch and couldn't get the time to come up. No idea why it wouldn't. In a slight panic, I heard the guy next to me say, 15 minutes left. So that's what I shouted to him, and he grimaced and walked away. 30 seconds later came the announcement over the tannoy that there were two minutes of added on time, and I realised, rather belatedly, the bloke next to me had been jesting. I remember Brillo stopping in his tracks and looking around at me incredulously. I felt like a right molly, so apologies. <laughs> Brilliant. You know what? If we need a clock. Orient need a clock. Oh, tell Matt Dean, Porter, don't please. That, please. Don't oh, I've told him every time. I used, there's a there's a there's a fellow I don't know his name. So I apologise to him who sits in the other stand, and I would t- I, I didn't even need to ask him in the end. I would just turn around and look at him, and he would put his hands up and go right ten left, twelve left, whatever. Yeah, yeah. We need a, we need a scoreboard and a clock. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I think that's pretty much it, Steve. Um, Did you have anything from Sam Sargent to ask? Not so much. Um, bear with me just one second. Very unprepared of me. Um, Got another question, though, Dean, from Stephen Orion. It says, was leaving for Spurs prior to Kenny Jackett's arrival, or did you decide to go after speaking to Kenny? Did you get to meet Kenny Jackett? And if you have, what is he like? Because we've not seen much of him, um, really, apart from when he was appointed. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the job, when I interviewed and applied for the job, was before the season had finished, so it was it was prior, Kenny. Um, I got I got accepted for the role probably two or three days after the season had finished. Um, and I went and... And then, not funny, but the next day, Kenny got announced and we were all due in as a staff to meet mine and Kenny together. Um, and before Kenny got any, I had to go and speak with mine and, and let him know my intention sort of thing. So it all happened in a very short space of time. And But but Kenny was fine. I think uh, Martin had briefed him on it before I'd met him and he, he was fine. He was he was good as gold. Um, he's a nice man, uh, obviously a fantastic um, career he's had in management. Um, I think he's he, he knows what he wants. Um, and, it, and 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 it's exciting. It's, it's it's definitely exciting to see what what's coming because I feel like football works a little bit in cycles. And I feel like this is the start of a new cycle, and and to have someone like with his experience at um, 
take the helm is is, is going to be exciting for everybody. And and like I say, I can only echo that he was he was a really nice man and he was good to talk to. And he was, do you know, what, he was really interested in the history of what's happened in the last few years. It wasn't just right. I'm coming. I'm doing this. He wanted to know previous stuff and picked our brains a little bit. So yeah, he's he, he was a good man. Um. Yeah, I mean, Sarge said there isn't really sort of anything in particular, just a fantastic group of lads and staff, many good memories uh, from the seasons, plenty of stuff happened in my bay. he told me to stay with the senior boys because it would be a great time, he wasn't wrong, James Dayton and his wheelchair was something <laughs> I remember vividly as well, that's Sam Sargent. Uh, and Josh Wright said, yeah, uh, more just really loud on the training ground and in games, very vocal, deep voice. Did miss a whole pre-season once in Marbella, uh, pre-season once in Marbella, just chilled like it was a holiday, then he was fit for the start <laughs> of the season with a few training sessions. Yeah, I hurt my back, I hurt my back that pre-season, when he signed actually, right he signed, and I must have done about a week of pre-season, so we didn't have long off anyway, Yeah, and I hurt my back, I was in Marbella, went for our pre-season tour, and I pretty much went there as a holiday going just <laughs> getting massages on my back where everyone else was running golf courses and stuff privilege to be an older thing <laughs> it's a passage of right a right yeah. passage rather so Dean we find many uh, questions at you just one more to come in so we sit here you're bound for Pasha's new to Tottenham Hotspur you've been at the club for four years so what's your final message then to the Orient fans who are listening to this podcast um Probably thank you more than anything. Um, I've, I've, we've had some amazing memories. Um, the support has been fantastic. Like from the moment, the moment I started, well, the moment I come into the club, fantastic. The moment I started playing, fantastic. Um, the stuff we've been through. Um, it's my family have had some fantastic memories, which is which is brilliant. I've got some I've got some great pictures of my little girl on a pitch waving at fans and 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 just yeah, just a thank you, just a thank you, and I will see you soon because I'm I'm coming back. You, you won't be able to keep me away. I'll be coming to games. I'll be coming to see everyone, and um, I look forward to it. And it's, like I say, we, we've missed you this year, and I, I will definitely come back to to see a few people and. And again, just thank you. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed, Dean. That was absolutely fantastic and a, and a real trip down memory lane for us, remembering some of the good and the not-so-good stuff that's happened in the last four. Lots happened in that four years. Um, blimey. Uh, it's been a privilege to have you on. Uh, we wish you every success at Tottenham Hotspur. Maybe we'll have a keeper on loan from there in the not-too-distant future. You never know. So that is it. So if you're listening on iTunes, please subscribe. Give the one out the podcast with you. If you're listening on SoundCloud, Spotify, Trina, Stitcher, add us to your favourites. And that way you have all the podcasts available as soon as they're uploaded. You can also listen to this podcast on all smart speakers, any devices that you have. So listening to the podcast has got even easier. And if you have an older relative, a loved one, or an Orient chum who you think will like the podcast, grab their phones iPads, tablets, download this for them and don't forget to pass the pod. So I guess from yourself, Stan, Chums, just a massive thank you, Dean, for spending uh, two hours plus with us. It's been a fantastic insight talking to you and we can see just by talking about Justin and his club, how much like the club means to you and, you know, from two 
fans who sat behind you in the south stand, just a massive thank you for everything you've done for for late night football club, and I'm sure lots of fans will echo echo that as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'll see you soon. I'm sure. Absolutely. So we are going to end this episode. We are delighted to be able to end it with rocking all over the world, and we'll be back. At some point soon, either with a full episode uh, or another interview, if we're fortunate enough. So thanks to everyone who's listened to uh, our last show, which was episode 249. And as always, keep calm, stay safe, and listen to the Orient Outlook podcast. I'll be <laughs>